WKNC Raleigh. This is DJ DiGiorno, and I'm joined now with Joe Westerlund of Grandma Sparrow and his Piddle Tracker Orchestra. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Did I say that correctly? Yeah, Piddle, Piddle, Piddle Tractor. Tractor. Yeah. All right. Um, well, this is your newest project. You've been a part of many different groups, Megafon, Diarmin Edison, Gangs, Caliphone, Mount Mariah. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what kind of drove you to, to embark on this this new journey? Um, I don't... Uh, that's a, that's a really good question. I think I've just always kind of had this project. This project is, is very special to me and it's, it's kind of always been a big part of who I am. And I'm, you know, I'm oftentimes I'm the guy in the corner of the party who is just kind of goofing off and maybe ruining some serious moments or something, you know, (laughs) like it's, it's, you know, I think that the, the drive for it is really just in that it's, it's really like who I am. And it's, it's something that I've kind of like subconsciously been working on for most of my life, I think. Okay. So, so the inspiration behind it has kind of been your life up until this point. Yeah, basically. Yeah. (laughs) That's a good, yeah. So, so on this album, there's, there's characters, correct? There's grandma Uh Sparrow and there's some other ones. Um, what, what was the inspiration behind these characters? Um, they're really, you know, a lot of this stuff kind of comes out. I keep referencing parties, and it might sound like I'm like a, a lush or something or like a party guy, but I'm really not. I'm, I'm a pretty mellow guy. But really, like, the Grandma Sparrow name came up at um, a gang's rehearsal, and those were kind of, you know, it was such a big band. It was like so many different bands that came together to right. do that, the one project. And so when we... um the record was made like kind of with everybody in an individual room, you know, like the, the one guy just kind of carried the hard drive around to like different people. So very few people actually collaborated on making the record. But when we all got together to do the band, it was like such a celebration of like all these people we never get to see, you know, and uh, those those rehearsals would often bleed into just like full on party time. And that's kind of when grandma sparrow the name grandma sparrow was born at one of these like kind of late night hangs uh where you know there's there's plenty of acoustic guitars around and people would just start plucking out chords and i'd start singing nonsensical rhyming lyrics to it and you know at some point someone was like what's his name and i'm like grandma sparrow and it was born you know (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, that's definitely interesting. I mean, a lot of crazy things are born out of parties, and you also yeah. just meet some really interesting people and get one little slice of their life at a party. So exactly. I can definitely yeah. see that. Yeah. Um. So, so what is Piddle Tractor? Piddle Tractor is kind of the the magical land or town that uh, Grandma Sparrow and all these different characters are based in. Uh, it's. I don't even I can't tell you what it looks like, but I know it has a wheelhouse in it and it has a, a skull runting where the squirky uh and and his friends the reindeer predator and uh Tinkle Minus play. And uh let's see, what else is there's there's various little swamps and valleys where all the all the different characters reside. And w- will there ever be a map that will surface from, you, from this? I started drawing one out. Actually, and that's, I got to the point where, uh, once I started like drawing things out like that, I realized I was getting too literal with it and it was kind of taking away the, the magic for me. Like, I think the, in a way the, the record is the key and the map and the, all that stuff, you know, it's like, that's, that's the thing. 
to me. Okay. So I didn't, you know, I got to a point where it was just like, it was, I was going too far with it, you know? Okay. So you'll leave that for the diehard fans to, yeah. to piece yeah. it all together yeah. for you. Definitely. I, I got you. Um, so now before we talk a bit more about the music, uh, do you want to go ahead and play a song off the album? Yeah. Uh, what, what track? Um, let's start with, uh, maybe this is my wheelhouse. Okay. Do you want to talk a bit about that song before? Sure. That song is sung by a character named Tristan Wimbley who lives in a wheelhouse, which he, um, kind of alludes to the fact that the wheelhouse might be inside your head as the, as the listener. All right, well, this is it. This is My Wheelhouse uh, by Grandma Sparrow and his Piddle Tractor Orchestra. And uh, he's playing this weekend, uh, two days at the Pinhook, uh, Saturday night and Sunday morning for brunch. Um, So it'll definitely be a great time. Uh, So here it is. This is My Wheelhouse. WKNC Raleigh, you just heard This Is My Wheelhouse by Grandma Sparrow and his Piddle Tractor Orchestra. Uh, this is DJ DiGiorno, and I'm joined here now with Joe Westerlin, who is Grandma Sparrow. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about this album. Uh, so this album comes out May 20th, and uh, it's being released on Space Bomb Records, uh, which is most well known for uh, being Matthew White's label that he kind of started out um, with. Mm-hmm. Um, and we interviewed him back in December, and we talked a bit about Space Bomb then. Um, but why don't you go ahead and describe Space Bomb and talk kind of about the idea behind it for those who might have missed that. Well, yeah, the idea behind Space Bomb is that they're, um, 
they're a record label and like kind of a, a with an in-house production company, I guess you would say, and and just they're they're producers, arrangers, uh, composers in their own right, and uh, really just amazing musicians. And it's it it extends beyond their kind of inner circle. Even the entire city of Richmond ha- is has just like a wealth of talent. Um, and we brought so many people from the Space Bomb Orchestra and the extended, like, kind of Richmond Space Bomb family mm-hmm. in on this record. Okay. Um. So how did how did this collaboration come about? Did Space Bomb approach you about it, or did you approach yeah. them, or how did Ma- this happen? Yeah. Matthew E. White um, approached me about it after um, he and Megaphon had performed Sounds of the South at Duke University, which is kind of a um, a reimagining of Alan Lomax uh, fielded recordings. And um, so we did this big project at Duke. It was a huge project involving, you know, a lot of the people in, in his Space Bomb Orchestra um, with his band in particular, Fight the Big Bull, which is like a, a seven-piece jazz band. And um, we just, we made all these like huge lush arrangements of these like very sparse, dark, like, you know, old folk field recordings. And it was after that, that he started talking about wanting to make a record with me um, and anything I could think of. And, you know, I had already kind of gotten, I had already started sort of writing these songs at that point and there was no you know there there just was no other option in my mind but to do this kind of like comedy slash uh the wildest music of my imagination with someone like him who is such a skilled arranger and orchestrator and um he also has a friend Trey Pollard who does some of the recording and uh does uh, arranges the strings mm-hmm. um and then also there's um a rhythm section uh Pinson Chancel and Cameron Ralston who were like kind of my, worked with me as the rhythm section like I would write some things and then they would write some things and we we on all ends we would kind of go back and forth sending each other like either written music or little demo recordings and stuff like that so right yeah well I mean from what I've heard of the record it definitely seems like a good fit and it seems pulled off really well oh, um, cool. so we're Thanks. really excited about it awesome me um, too. so the songs on the record um were these mainly written by you before you kind of went to the studio with them? Um, yeah, they were. Uh, it was all actually everything was kind of demoed out uh, as a song, and like the entire like kind of flow, generally speaking, of the record was was demoed and by just you know bedroom recordings with an acoustic guitar or like uh, made in uh, Ableton Live. I, I had actually just moved to Los Angeles at the time that I started writing this stuff so i didn't have any more than just an acoustic guitar and a midi little midi keyboard with with me you know so that's like kind of what i wrote a lot of like you know some of the intricate passages and then some of the basic songs were written that way and then it was all sent to to matt and trey and 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 the rest of the guys and they all kind of fleshed it out a little bit more for me. And there are plenty of discoveries that we made in the recording studio too, but for the most part, like each song was like the whole record was pretty much mapped out. Okay. 
All right. Um, so I've seen like a couple like different descriptions of the mm-hmm. music kind of floating around. So yeah. I'm interested to hear hear your description. So if you oh, like man. concisely describe it, I how, mean, how would you do that? Yeah, it changes every day. You know, like I I still think of it as uh, a children's song cycle for adults, like a psychedelic children's song cycle for adults is kind of like the thing I've arrived at. Um there's a lot of ties to a lot of other music I listen to in this recording, but really when it comes down to it, I think it's just the idea that you take something that's just like really goofy and really just fun and, and kind of euphoric and you put it with, with music. At least some of the music is so difficult and, and just kind of so complex, you know, Mm-hmm. that it kind of drives people crazy to like read it or play it or whatever you know it's like you got to be hyper focused so i think that's to me that's kind of like the crux of this whole uh project is just that it's freewheeling in one sense but it's also just like a really um hyper detailed thing you know right, a very right. serious you have to take it very seriously like when i perform with uh the band canine heart sounds who's backing me um for these upcoming shows, I mean, these guys are just like, uh, are so focused. And mm-hmm. so like, I mean, they really have to stay on it otherwise because to just get a little bit behind is like, cause it, it moves by so fast and the songs just bleed into another and there's really very few breaks for them and me, you know? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's really interesting. Um, so do, do you think you had like, did you have some, troubles uh kind of capturing like that playful sound on the record and and not making it sound so intricate and calculated Mm -hmm. um i think the thing the thing that helped us the most to to keep it light was the fact that we recorded the whole like all of the basic tracks which was like the rhythm section and all the initial vocals um all to tape um and for people that don't really understand like i mean there's people that are going to be listening to this that probably don't understand the difference between like analog recording with tape and digital recording. But with, with tape, it's an older technology and it's, it allows for much fewer mistakes. Like you have to just be on and the energy has to be very, you know, focused. Right. um, It also kind of has like each take that you do, you know, like when you're, you're, rehearsing and and you're like doing the first take and oh someone screwed up and so we got to do it again you know there's there's a shorter lifespan with tape i've found by recording this record with space bomb like you really only have a few takes before the energy starts dropping because you have to play it all the way through you can't go back in the computer and fix it later right right. you have to play it right so because of that yeah it's it's a little exhausting but there's it also allows for like each time you do something, you're in the mindset that this has to be it and you've got to do your best. And it provides you with some of the, the greatest like risk taking and some of the biggest mistakes actually end up on the record still. And some, hmm. some of my favorite moments where I look back and I think like, oh, as soon as I did that or we finished that take, like all four of us just like fell on the ground laughing, <laughs> you know, for like five minutes. And then we got back up and did something else, you know. Yeah. Like I can think back to those like those moments where it was just like this ecstatic thing that's captured on the tape still, you know, and mm-hmm. it's like a very whimsical 
thing. You know, it's a very off the cuff, important moment that can never be replicated. You right. Know? Right. And I think that rawness is something that like, even if the listeners don't really know what it was that made you yeah. guys all fall to the floor laughing, they, d- right. they definitely get the honesty of it. Like yeah. through the recording. Cool. cool. Um, so what, what was the recording process? Like, I know there was a lot of arrangements that went into it, like strings and choir yeah. arrangements and stuff. So how, how did you handle that? Well, I mean, it's, we really handled it, um, Matt Matthew E. White and his friend Trey Pollard, who worked on they both worked on the record. I mean, they handled a lot of the arrangements and um a lot of the I mean orchestrated. Sometimes I'd send them parts, you know, that would be kind of like uh written out already, you know, like just maybe a couple different harmony parts or whatever, but kind of like intricate, you know, intricate passages of, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. kind of a solo or solely thing. And they'd come back and they'd assign it to, you know, to different instruments. And then there's like, you know, in the orchestra. And then there's other instances on this record where I literally just sent them like uh, uh, vocals and acoustic guitar with a little chord chart and like description of what I thought I wanted. And sometimes like Matt would come back to me with, there was a couple instances where Matt came back to me with something I didn't like initially. And we'd tweak it together in the studio mm-hmm. and figure those out. And those are, again, some of my like favorite moments on the record. Now you're looking yeah. back, you know, like I thought I wanted it one way and, uh, and he heard it another way and having more longevity as, you know, being this like, you know, recorded statement as a, like a recording another way. So, um, it, there, it, it was my first experience being on my own, like without megaphone or without like a, a bunch of other bandmates to bounce things off of and to just have like one guy who called himself the producer, you know, and who like brought me production ideas that I could, in the end, I could say, no, I don't want that. Or, you know, I had kind of had final say. And so the, the, the whole process was really exciting and it was just a gift to get these, like watch these arrangements kind of take shape and, you know, as this, they brought the strings in and the horns in, like, I just had no idea, you know, that this is what it was going to sound like or that they had thought about adding a part from a different song mm-hmm. to this song, you know, and, and stuff like that. Like, it was it was really cool and always surprising and uh, just a really fun time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I saw somewhere on the site that it was described as like a music collage where you yeah. could, as you mentioned, take a part of one song and put it into another song. Yeah. So was there a lot of thought put into that? Is that yeah. just kind of something that happened naturally? Yeah, no, it like <laughs> it's in a way it's like a very unnatural thing to try to do. Like I found from doing this, like I thought, you know, once we got going, there'd be more that we'd come across, you know, like more moments where we could like take that one line from one song and put it on another. Um, most of that stuff, yeah, there were like certain parts that were planned, but for the most part, it was all done in editing. You know, it would be um, with me working on a computer with all the basic tracks, like all the horn tracks, all the string tracks, all the rhythm section, all my vocals, all the other people's vocals. And and we'd, I would, um, you know, in certain certain times in this record, I'd just scramble them. I'd try to randomize them completely, and it'd just sound like a big mess. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of comb through it and listen to it and try to find moments that I felt like I could like kind of go get in there and like shape it a little bit. And while it still sounds random, I still want it to be like coherent, you know, to people right. uh, so that you hear the part where somebody goes, paint your house with a rooster egg. And then right after that, somebody goes, oh, goosh, gobbledy, whatever, you know, like, yeah, like just so that those things like they're things like that would be like timed randomly. But then I'd also like try to make space around them in the big mess that I had kind of created in my digital recording world, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, no, that's that's really awesome. Um, so this album was recorded back three years ago now in the summer of 2011. Um, so h- how has Space Bomb changed since then? Um, you know, a lot of the a lot of the progress I've been watching from afar because I live in Los Angeles now, and they, you know, they're Richmond based, and um, I've been uh, I haven't been to their studio in at least a year, I think, if not longer. And, um, but I've watched it from the time that we tracked this record was like three years ago. And a good majority of it was art was still done in Matt's, uh, Matthew E. White's attic. Um, and now he's since moved all the gear out of the attic. And I think he's in a, he's in a proper studio now, um, right. in Richmond. So, um, they've changed in that way. They've also changed in that just Matt, Matt's career has done what it's done and he's like somewhat known and, Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, they've kind of watched, I've watched them kind of go from the, like the seed stage, you know, like the dream stage of like this, this whole idea of like the record label production thing being, you know, kind of like co-owned and co-run move into, just just them taking it more seriously i think or just realizing how much of a possibility it is and how how it can it really can serve a lot of different artists that they you know are into or respect or whatever yeah yeah i mean it seems like they have something really incredible going on it's kind of cool to get your perspective since you're kind of in the door when it started now yeah this record's coming out now that it's kind of fully formed and developing something really major well and this record would be so different if i had made it with any other group of people like it they're just their whole idea of like kind of uh putting the old technology with the new technology and and using both you know both formats really allowed me to like make a a record that I, I feel to me is like kind of futuristic in a way, you know, with all by all, but also like borrowing a lot from the past. Like I, I've, there's definitely like very, very um, clear reference points that I've shared with Matt and, and everybody else that worked on the record that we all kind of like listened for and like worked on and tried to like mm-hmm. massage into something new, you know? as much as we could yeah yeah well that's that's really awesome um so recently you've kind of been playing a couple dates um as grandma sparrow (laughs) um how those been going awesome i think (laughs) they've been really fun for me and for the band and uh i i i feel like i've gotten really good feedback from people after the show and really interesting feedback while that said like the whole first half of the shows have been pretty silent. Like people just seem to be taking it in, you know, because right. it's, it is mostly seamless. There are very few breaks in it. And there's parts where to me, I'm here because I've heard this stuff 
you know, hundreds of times already. And um, the people I know have heard it a lot too, like the, my, my kind of close inner circle. I, I'm always hearing laughter at certain, there's like punchlines in this music, you know, mm -hmm. that I'm waiting for laughter. And I think it takes people a good 15 minutes, if not longer, to like sink into what this whole, what the show is, you know, like right. it's kind of a, a, a little bit of a shock value thing with, some real hearty musicianship at the core. You know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And like for people just going out on a random night of the week to go to, to see a show, they're yeah. not really expecting well, something. Especially like when they're going to see Megaphone play and this is the opener. And I think it kind of, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's kind of, that's my main experience. But, you know, I do have another another thing to talk about too is in LA last winter, my wife and I actually staged a modern dance version of this. And I used a whole nother set of Los Angeles musicians um, who are kind of more known in like uh, jazz experimental music circles. Okay. And um, we were all sitting down and had the sheet music in front of us. And I was sitting behind the drums dressed up in my costume. And, and my wife and her dance partner were dancing. They had choreographed. A, a bunch of things for different songs. So there's like lots of different ways I can kind of see this whole project going. You know, it's not just like uh, I'm I'm trying to focus on, you know, while the club is a good place for it and a fun place for it, mm -hmm. I'm I'm really looking forward to branching out from there with this and and doing one man shows or like a full orchestra show or with yeah. a dance thing or a multimedia thing or like uh, even an art installation. We did like a little art installation before the dance show. Uh, so it, I think Grandma Sparrow can really exist as so many different things. And that's what's so exciting about it to me is I get to just let keep letting my imagination run wild. Like now that the record's done, it's not just time to just go out there and recite it. It's like time to play with it and tinker with it and monkey with it. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's really, really cool that you can do that with it because a lot of album or a lot of bands they release an album and they just kind of go out and interpret you play the that songs. album live. Yeah, yeah. well, and that's what people want to hear too. You know, I mean, and that's kind of what you realize uh, you do best as a band. You know, is mm -hmm. you you play your songs and that's what you do best. You know, you don't make up songs on the spot. You don't go. You know, yeah, yeah. some bands do, but you know, a lot of bands don't. So it's. Yeah, it's it's nice to have something where I feel like I kind of have license to just people want to see me do something different than just play the record, I think. Okay. I hope, yeah. You know, or I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well no, that that's really awesome. And you have 3 dates coming up this weekend. Do you have any plans for after that? Um maybe some of these other ideas that you talked about or Um yeah, uh we're yeah, I'm talking we're we're trying to get like another a few other kind of larger shows together um, for next year um, for now. But yeah, right now we're figuring out the rest of that, the schedule mm -hmm. bit for the rest of the year. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so you've got the record release show this Friday in yeah, Richmond right. and then Saturday night and Sunday morning at the Pinhook. Um, so what, what can we expect um, from these shows here at the Pinhook? Um, you can expect a, a really good band, Canine Heart Sounds, uh, playing the music of Grandma Sparrow. Um, you can expect me to be fumbling my way through a lot of different costumes, uh, little costume pieces, and uh, uh, lots of 
different dynamics in the music. Like there's lots of different, uh, I guess I wouldn't say styles of music, but there's lots of different kinds of music in this, in this, uh, this show and it um i think it's really entertaining while still being somewhat challenging and funny and weird and puzzling and i think you'll probably experience some emotions you didn't know you had well <laughs> it, it sounds great and we're definitely looking forward to it cool um so it's this saturday and sunday at the pinhook in durham it should be a great time um so why don't we go ahead and play another cut from the album uh, do you have something you'd like to play um, yeah, let's play, let's play the pig's milk candy cane. All right. And, uh, do you want to talk about that all yeah, real quick? It's a fun one. Uh, it involves, it's kind of like an old take on an old swing band, jazz band number, uh, about the, uh, piddle, the favorite, um, dessert of piddle tractor. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, we, you know, it's recorded in a, it's my voice singing on it, but it'll be hard to recognize kind of because the tape has been slowed down uh, to kind of make the character sound older, more suave, or like he has a deeper voice or something. So, okay. It's fun. Yeah. Awesome. Um, well, when we come back, we'll be uh, talking to Grandma Sparrow, asking him a couple questions. Uh, so, yeah, keep it locked here on WKNC. Two played the classic pig's milk candy cane for the mayor's birthday last Wednesday. It's the pig's milk candy cane, the hurdy gurdy understain, the marmaladed pony's mane, dilapidated monkey brain, possums full of puzzle tears, and crows that grow Dakota beards. It's time to eat your food. First, you take the Dilapidated 
monkey brain Possums full of puzzle tears And crows that grow Dakota beards It's time to eat your food It's the pig's milk candy cane The hurdy-gurdy understain Marmalade and pony's mane Dilapidated monkey brain Possums full of puzzle tears And crows that grow Dakota beards It's time to eat your food Children, children, calm down now, calm down. Calm down. WKNC Raleigh, you just heard the Pig's Milk Candy Cane by Grandma Sparrow and his Piddle, Piddle Tractor Orchestra. And uh, he's playing this Saturday and Sunday at the Pinhook in Durham. And uh, now we're joined now here with the character Grandma Sparrow. And I have a couple questions for you. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, so this first one is a question that uh, I like to ask a lot of bands. Um, okay. Uh, so good. if you could describe your sound, uh, the, yeah. the Piddle Tracker Orchestra sound as a room, uh, what oh. would be in the room? How, how would you describe the room? The room? Oh, what would be in the room? Oh, that is, oh, goosh, that is such a good question. Oh, I'm going to have so much fun answering this query. Hmm, hmm. I'm closing my eyes now and I'm imagining uh, a room full of mm, cotton candy, perhaps, and maybe some trinkets, some trinkets in the shape of, of coconuts. Oh, oh, and there's possibly a rainbow, a rainbow and many, many dessert surprises. <laughs> well, well, thank you, Grandma. Uh, so we have another question uh, that was tweeted in. Uh, it is oh. Grandma, a goon's query. What is the name of this magic pond Aloysius throws his dumps over? Oh, yes. Oh, goosh. Good query. Good query. Yes. The name of the pond that Aloysius takes his dumps and throws across the pond is called Lamprey Land. Well, thank you so much, Grandma Sparrow, for joining us in the studio. Oh, you are welcome, my child. And you can see Grandma Sparrow this weekend, Saturday and Sunday morning at the Pinhook. And we'll leave you here with one last song from Grandma Sparrow and his Piddle Tractor Orchestra. This song is Grandma's Song for You.
Johnny, Johnny.